this series um, called uh, When We Hurt. We've been talking about kind of um, what happens when we're walking through suffering, when, when, when the things around us just are, it feels like the world is crashing down around us. Um, I know for me, this has been Something like within recent weeks, that's just been kind of really hitting me hard. Um, in 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 the youth group that I that I help um, that I help facilitate, uh, there's been just been a lot of death lately, a lot of death. Um, and I think of just kind of the things that are happening on a global scale, um, where there's just the, the natural disasters that that just keep happening, and people um, are are dying because of this. Um, and then you think of um, the, the wars that are going on in the world that we're getting updates about um, every minute of every day, and it all just compounds on top of all the other things that we're that we're dealing with. And we can almost kind of grow numb to it all. Um, we can grow numb to it. Um, but what's really interesting. Uh, it, about the Bible is that there are so many stories in the Bible that talk about storms. And I, and I, think, in, I think in the middle of these storms uh, that, that we're experiencing in our own life or on a global scale, I think we need to look at one of these storm stories tonight. Um, and we're gonna be talking, in Act, talking about this passage in Acts 27 where this guy named Paul, uh, he is caught up in a storm. Um, and so you can follow along. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be we're gonna kind of read little chunks so just follow along with me. We're gonna be starting in verse 13 and then going to verse 20 and then to verse 33 after that. So just follow along, I'll guide you. We'll just read it together. <clears throat> it, says, it says this, it says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and we could not heed into the wind. So we gave way to it and we were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And then the verse 33, it says, just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them um, in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and would not move and the stern was broken into pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. <clears throat> um, tonight, I wanna talk about uh, the gift of storms. 
um, how it's a gift and, and what our response to it should be. And I want us to see if it's possible for us. Is it possible for us to see that God is present in the storms with us? Um, a couple of weeks ago, so my wife, she's a, she's a first grade teacher. Um, she uh, is, is a first grade teacher at, at Camas Ridge Elementary School. Um, and I had the privilege of being a chaperone for um, a, their first grade field trip. Um, we went to the pumpkin patch. It was very cute. Um, there, there, was a, there was two classes, so a bunch of first, a bus, first graders on the bus. There were, there were some kids that were like really nervous because they'd never been like on a bus before. And then there were some who had been on a bus like a million times and they're like already asleep on the bus. One kid was convinced we were driving to Washington State um, because we, they, he's never been on a bus before. He's like, this is taking forever. The kid next to me thought his, his farts smelled funny. Um, it was a stinky bus. Um, it was a, it was a good time. Um, but we got to the, and we got to the, we got to the pumpkin patch and they're like, they're just like running around the sea of first graders running around looking for all these pumpkins. And it's just, it's just amazing. And when I was thinking about that, when I was on the bus, I was thinking about the first time when, when you have something like that happen, when you have the privilege of kind of being there for someone's first time on a field trip or a first time for anything, you start thinking about your own first time for something. And I started thinking about like my first time I went on a field trip, um, which also happened to be in first grade. And we went, we went to the zoo. Uh, and I, I hadn't taken the bus yet. And I remember being so nervous to be, to be on the bus. Um, I, was, I was kind of excited too. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. And, and I, found my mom, I found out my mom was also a little nervous. Um, I ended up finding out after I got off the bus that she had followed the bus to the field trip. Um, I was pretty jazzed to see her when I got off the bus. I thought it was super cool. Um, and when, when I talked to my mom about this a few weeks ago, she said it was, she, she described it, it was a strange feeling of kind of letting her kid go for the first time. And, and, and being, being a youth pastor, I can kind of, kind of relate, I don't have kids, but I can kind of relate to this a little bit where we have some seniors um, in our high school ministry who are, I've seen grow up and I've walked like with them through life. And, and there, I have some middle schoolers that are not high schoolers and I'm thinking of them graduating. I'm getting kind of emotional a little bit and when I, and, and seeing kind of, you kind of have to hope this whole process worked of helping them grow and mature. I mean, you have to kind of let them go and be affected by the big, scary world, essentially. You know that life is gonna happen to them. You know they're gonna walk through doubts. You know all those kind of things, but you kind of have to trust the whole process and it's a little scary. It's kind of a hard emotion to describe. And it's, it's hard to let someone you love and have helped grow go out into the world and be affected by other people. My mom told me it was a scary emotion to have this whole process to trust this whole process and let your kid kind of go out into the world. But then she would tell me how relieving it was when I would come home. She would tell me uh, there was this almost comforting relief, you came home. And I, and, and I still kind of get that sense when I go home. I don't know if you guys visit your parents for, or your family for the holidays. Um, there's almost, you can kind of see it on them. There's this relief that my, my, the person I love is now home. Um, there's a sense of relief. And, and I draw that out, I illustrate that out to kind of um, show you there is a kind of sacredness to absence. Because that absence, the hope would be that it would create a maturity over time. And there are times for all of us where it feels like God is just gone, that he's dropped us off and left. And now we know, we know on like a theological level, God is not gone. We know that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's always there. But I think I can also say this on a, on a theological level that God will sometimes put us, in situ, put us in a place where it feels like we're alone. 
And in those experiences, we have an opportunity to grow and mature, but God's intention would always be that we would come home. And I imagine Paul in this story that we just read, I imagine that he felt alone. Um, This was a guy, if we don't know who Paul is, this was a guy who was specifically called by Jesus and was saved and was told by Jesus, Jesus was like, come follow me. And Paul gives his life to follow Jesus. And he goes and he travels and he preaches and he, and he, about Jesus and he and he's, gives his life to serving people. And he spends years traveling. And most people don't know this. Paul, when he's spending his years traveling, when I first read this, I was like, Paul's got to be like some young dude with like the Birkenstocks and like beautiful hair. And like, he's just a man. And it's awesome. Um, but I found Paul was like 55, he was like 55 years old when he, became, when he started following Jesus. And that's like, talk about a late life conversion story. And, and he lives these later years serving Jesus. And you would think that you would find, God, that, you would find that like God would like reward Paul for his faithfulness and sort of give him like a smooth, like ten, last 10 to 15 years of his life, a really smooth retirement plan um, for him. But what you find is that Paul's life is marked with pain pain after pain, failure after failure, loss, just over and over again. Like you could say following Jesus did not like work out very well for Paul's career. It didn't work out well for his body. It didn't work out well for his sense of security. You could say that for Paul, following Jesus destroyed his life. And he's on his, and actually in the story, he's on his way to die. He's literally on his, he's on his way to Rome. This is the end of his life. This, had, this had, had always been a dream in his life to go and preach to Rome and go to his final place where he knows he's going to die. He'd never been there before. I, I always found it so interesting how excited he is about visiting Rome. When you read the last chapter of Romans, he lists all these people he wants to come and see in Rome. He names them. It's his dream to go and preach. And on his way to preach, on his way to die... And you know your life isn't working out really well when you're on your way to die and you get caught in a shipwreck. You can't even imagine what that might feel like, that you can't even go to your own death successfully. You fail on the road. I bet no doubt Paul is thinking in this story, has this been worth it? Am I doing the right things? It's been failure after failure. I'm finally, I'm on the way to, to Rome, the place I've always wanted to go and I can't even get there to die. And this hurricane hits. But what we see in the middle of this hurricane in the, is that Paul in the middle of the storm finds Jesus all over again. And for the next few minutes, I want you to consider that God is in the storm. I think a couple things happen for Paul here. Um, The first thing that I want us to see what they do when they're about to get shipwrecked on Paul's way to die, I want us to see, it's in verse 18, their actions of beginning to throw things overboard on the ship. The text says that they're taking measurements, they're noticing that they're getting close to getting dashed against the rock. So what do they do? It says they begin to throw the cargo overboard. They don't throw anybody overboard. They don't pull a Jonah they throw the cart, they throw the stuff overboard. They throw anything overboard. This is, actually, this is actually what you would do if you were on a boat and you want to increase your chances of survival. This is what you would do. You start to lighten your load. They're throwing all the unnecessary stuff overboard, the furniture, the extra supplies, the food they might not need. They're lightening their load so that they might be saved. There's a reason. Have you, have you guys been on a plane and they give you like the tutorial where like if the plane were to fall out of the sky, what to do? 
Like, you know, you're on the plane, they give you like the instructions. They tell you, they tell you to do something when the plane crashes. They say, they say when, in the event of a plane crash, do not grab your bags. They like have to tell you that because in plane crashes, people grab their bags and they don't make it out. Like people would rather, ha- they have to tell you this because people would rather have their stuff and die than live without their stuff. They have to tell you that. They tell you not to grab your bags. They tell you to lighten your load or you won't get out safely because if you have all your stuff, you're probably not getting off the plane. And this actually isn't new in human history. Um, in, in, in the first century, when like, you guys know like Pompeii, like Mount Vesuvius, all that kind of stuff. When, it, when Mount Vesuvius erupted in the first century, I don't know if you guys have seen this before, but the ash that came down that preserved the city that archeologists later dug up, it actually preserved the bodies there really well. And so when archaeologists dug up the city, we actually got a glimpse of what people were doing in their final moments, what people were doing. You can look at the photos and they have the casts of these people and it's super fascinating because you have some people holding each other, you have some people covering their face, but overwhelmingly in these photos, you have people holding onto stuff. And Paul and these people in the storm, we have to ask, what do they do that's so unique to us? I guess what I'm trying to say is I think storms are God's way of showing us what's important in our lives. Because when you walk through trauma loss, when you walk through storms, when you walk through things that are being done to you that you can't control, when you walk through those things, you really quickly begin to figure out what's important and what is not important. Um, I, have a, I have a spiritual mentor that I meet with and he told me this story <clears throat> about um, in 2017, um, they're the, it's the lesser known year for the wildfire. There was a big wildfire in 2017 here, but 2020 kind of like owns that. Um, in 2017, um, there was a wildfire, there was, there's wildfires and uh, he was a pastor up in Portland at the time and there was this campsite that um, his church would go to very, very often throughout the year that, and the family that lived on this campsite, the, the campsite was at risk of being burned down from the fires. And so he, he was telling me the story about how he was driving um, to, the, to the campsite because they heard it's gonna get consumed by the fire. You have to help this family. And he, was, he thought he was like some superhero. He's like, I'm driving because it'll be like, I thought he, he was like, I thought I was gonna drive through like fire and like on the road. And he's like, it was just, it was just really smoky. There wasn't any of that. And, they, and he gets to the house and, they, and he found out we only, they only had 20 to 30 minutes to get as much stuff out of this house and go. But what's interesting is that he thought he was going to show up and they were going to grab like valuables, clothes, all that kind of stuff. But the family, when they met him at the house, the family said, we just want our guitar and keyboard. And he's like, why? Why not like clothes? And they said, he said, they said the craziest thing. They said, we just want to make sure we have the stuff we need to worship. We want to make sure we have the stuff that we need to worship. And this image, when he told me that story, I, I can't shake the image of, of this family that are at risk of losing everything, but all they wanna do is make sure they can still worship. And that made me think about, like if I was, if, if I would get, if I was in that situation, if I was caught in that situation, what, like, what would I take? And like I started thinking, oh, I got some pretty lame stuff that I would take. <laughs> like my toys. <laughs> like what would I take? I don't know books. I don't know. But man, what I can say is when you walk through a storm, you really see what was valuable to you. And in the middle of the storm, in the middle of just hell, and they start throwing things overboard. I I think when we walk through storms, it makes it really clear to us what is important and what isn't. 
And this, the second thing I want us to see is that when you walk, when you walk through pain and loss and, and just when the world feels like it's crashing down around you, you actually get really close to the people you're in it with. Um, I've noticed something a little, a little weird in the last couple of years. I've only been a, a pastor for about a year, uh, a, year and a, a, little, a year and a little bit. And uh, I've noticed in the last year or two, just on a general scale, there's been a lot more people, especially like, like teenagers, like high schoolers, they've been asking me like, is this like the end of the world? Like they look around, they see all this like, stuff happening. I mean, adults are asking this too. They're like, is this like the end? Are we like there? Because we see all this crazy stuff just happening. And, and people have legitimately been asking, is this the end? Like, are we there? And I don't know if we're there. I don't know. My initial reaction, my initial reaction is to say, yeah, we're there. We've been there for like 2,000 years and, and, and we'll be there tomorrow. But, but, I think, but I think when the wild stuff happens in our lives, we get the opportunity to get closer to people. In, in, in 2020, when, the, when the, the big wildfire, the crazy one happened, um, I, I live in an apartment. And I don't know if you, guys, if you guys have ever lived in an apartment before, you don't like talk to anyone else who lives in your apartment complex. Like I don't, you never do that. Um, and when, uh, when the, the smoke came down um, in, in our apartment complex, uh, I went out with a broom to sweep like my walkway and I noticed my neighbor across the hall from me, he, was, he also went out to do that. Um, and I actually, we got to talk to my neighbor. For, I got to talk to my neighbor for the first time and he's like super nice. And he was like, let me help you sweep. And he was with his broom and it was great. And I never met my neighbor. I was like, this guy's like weird. I don't know him. And then he's like, yeah, you're kind of weird. And I'm like, sorry. And we were like, and, and we're like, we're like cleaning the smoke up and I got to meet my neighbor. Then he moved away and I was sad. But it was like, we got close in that moment. Or like, has anyone ever been to like a sports game and there's like a buzzer beater or like a Hail Mary and it like, or like game winner kind of thing. Has that ever happened to you? I grew up with like, when I, I grew up in the Seattle area, so I went to Seattle Seahawks games all the time. And uh, I was there um, when uh, the, the Seahawks had the Hail Mary over Green Bay, which I'm still calling a catch. Um, and, and, uh, and the whole crowd just went insane. And everyone's like hugging each other. My, I'm st- I was standing next to my, my, my dad and he's bald. And some guy like behind him, like kissed the top of his head, like over the top, just like, planted a kiss on his head. And it was just this amazing, amazing moment. And you think of, there's all these people like hugging each other, like complete strangers, like different, everyone who, and, and, and there's like 60,000 people there. I bet there's a bunch of people in there with different values, opinions, beliefs, all of that. But in that moment, no one cared. People had, who would have been haters turned to best friends. And guys, did you know that that actually happens in disasters? Did you know that? Like psychologists actually found that people who walk through trauma together actually form a friendship that is unlike any other relationship that they have. They actually found that people who survived the 9-11 attacks have a relationship with each other that is unlike any other relationship they have in their lives. We form these crazy close relationships when you're with people and you walk through tragedy together. When you walk through hell with someone, you will never forget who you're with. You become crazy close in the good stuff and in the horrible stuff. You can probably call up your parents or grandparents and ask where they were when 9-11 happened and they will, be, they will be able to recall immediately who they were with. And look what happens here in this storm. Look, and Paul, Paul gets close to the people around him in probably, I would think like the weirdest way possible. The weirdest way possible. Look at what Paul does you would think he would be running around, flipping out, 
trying to help people. You would think you would try to make it like comfortable and like safe, and maybe he's feeling bold. He might start preaching. He does it a little bit, um, and, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't do any of that. Look at what he does in the middle in the middle of the storm. In the middle of this hurricane, the Bible says he goes around, he reaches into his bag, and he serves communion in the middle of the storm. That's crazy. Think about that for a minute. The storm is raging. Paul goes into his little bag, and he gets out like a loaf of bread. He's like, here's the loaf of bread. And what I love about this, they threw all this stuff overboard, but he didn't throw the bread away. He takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives thanks. And the specific word here in verse 35 is this word, Eucharisto, which is the word that is used for communion. And Bible scholars, they have been debating this text for years because it seems to appear that in the middle of the storm, Paul gets bread, breaks it, and he serves a bunch of pagans the good news of Jesus. And now I'm, tonight, I'm not going to get into the debate of how communion should be instituted, that's not what we're here to talk about. But what we see is that all Paul can do in the storm is break bread and serve the love of Jesus to people. Who does that? Who in the middle of the worst situation they can be in, in the middle of the storm, conceptualize that for yourself. In the most stressful time ever with a bunch of people and then just someone, like imagine you're walking along with someone and goes, hey guys, I've got like a loaf of bread in my back. Let's celebrate like Jesus right here. That sounds awesome. Sounds like the best time to do this. But that's what he does. And they break bread together and they eat. Paul decides to share Jesus with them. And what stinks about the world today is often people, when we suffer and go through difficult times, the last thing we're thinking of doing is going into our bag and getting a loaf of bread and serving it to the people around us. And the truth is that the gift, that is the gift that Jesus' followers have. You have God tell you really weird things. I think, I think for a lot of us in here, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, God is telling you to do something weird. Not like, I don't know, depends. Like, I, for, like for me, like I, I think he's telling us to do weird stuff all the time. Like for me, there was the other day, I was at like 10 p.m., I was at a Walgreens. And I'm, I'm like getting stuff at this Walgreens. And... I'm like, this is a crazy story. Just get ready. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm like, in this Walgreens, and I enter the store, and I look out the window, and I just see there's this like woman in her car sobbing. 10 p.m. at night. No one else is there. I'm in the store. There's the cashier, and then there's a woman outside in the middle of the parking lot crying in her car. And guys, I cannot tell you how fleeting this thought was. I cannot tell you. It just was so, just, it was crazy. Like how instant that thought and then how instantly it was gone. But, I, had, but I, I heard Jesus tell me, hey, I need you to go up to that woman and knock on her window and, t- and ask her if she needs help. Think about that for a minute. Me, at 10 p.m. in a Walgreens parking lot, going up and knocking on a woman's parking lot walk, or walk, on her car while she's sobbing and asking if she needs help. And so I'm sitting there going, what? What do I do? And I can't tell you how uncomfortable that feeling was. I cannot tell you how uncomfortable that feeling was. And so I, I, I'm like, okay. And I was like, God, like, what do you want me to say? And he didn't, he didn't tell me. So I was like, okay. So like, I go out, I, I'm go, I'm, I literally go, I, ch- I check out, I walk out to this car and I'm thinking to myself, dude, this is it for me. I'm gonna be on the register guard tomorrow. 
Like I'm gonna be that creepy pastor that goes and knocks on women's car windows at night. And, and, I, knock, and I, knock on, I knock on the car window and I, I don't say, I don't go up to her and go, hey, like Jesus told me like, to knock on the window. And like, ask, like cause he didn't, he didn't tell me to go up and say, hey, Jesus told me. He just said, go knock on the window and ask if she needed help. And I went up and I knocked on the window and I was like, oh, what's, hi, um, what, what, do you, what do you need? Um, and she was like, I have been trying. I, I, I don't have a home. I, I, I've, I've lost my home recently. I've been trying to get some, my car won't start. And I, I've, I've been trying to get someone for the last like 45 minutes to try and jumpstart my car and no one has been able to help me. And I was like, okay, I can help you. <laughs> and so like I, I, we, I pull my car around, we get the, we get the jumper cables and, um, and we're hooking it up, however you do that. And uh, <clears throat> she knew more than me. And, uh, and uh, <clears throat> she, she starts crying again. She starts sobbing again. And she gives the, and, and then she did the weirdest, she's like, give me this hug. Have you ever had a hug where you're like, I don't, I can't move. Like, I cannot move. And, and she goes, she goes I, I, I don't know what to say. It, it feels like God has seen me in this moment. And she, and she, she gets, goes over to her car and I notice in the backseat of her car, she has her two-year-old daughter that's just sleeping in the backseat. She looked very cute. She was very comfortable. And she goes, thank you, thank you. And she just drove away. And I've never, seen, I've never seen her again. And I think it worked. I'm not in jail yet, so I think it worked out. I think it worked out. Um, but I think God is telling us to do weird things a lot. Especially in the moments when, when, when it just feels like the storms are just hitting people, when the storms are hitting us. I think, he's, I think he wants us to look at him in the storm. What we see is that all Paul can do in the storm is break bread. I can only imagine that they were that the people on the ship were like super close after this. Like the people that Paul was with, I, I get, I guarantee you, they never forgot him. <laughs> like they're not going to forget about the random guy in the middle of the shipwreck that like gave them a loaf of bread. <laughs> and what I love about what Paul does in this in the storm is it not only brings everyone closer together, he's actually showing us that the response to the suffering when we hurt, Paul can't help but be brought back to Jesus. Whatever, whatever situation you're in, whatever crisis comes your way, not only do you get close to those around you, but you have this amazing opportunity to find God in the middle of it. There's this, there's this, wonderful, there's this wonderful book called A, A Glorious Dark by A.J. Swoboda. Um, and he talks about, um, he talks about how when, 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 our sh- when our faith is shaken, when our, when our lives are shaken, we actually have the... Uh, we have, the, we have the opportunity to either, we are either an Etch-A-Sketch or we're a Polaroid. Makes a really weird comparison. Um, and he says that a lot of times when, when our faith is shaken, when, we're, when suffering enters our lives, we're like an Etch-A-Sketch where the image of Jesus, when you shake an Etch-A-Sketch, the image just disappears. But when you shake a Polaroid, the image becomes more clear. And he says a lot of people, they think that when those situations come up, their only option is to be an Etch-A-Sketch but actually we have an interesting opportunity to be like a Polaroid and the image becomes more clear to us. And I think in in this day and age, we have got to be the people who best know how to serve bread in the storms because our world is dying. It's been dying for a long time, but it is dying and we are the ones that have the hope. 
And the third thing that I want us to see in the storms, the hope, the hope of the storm is that it was, it, like I said, it would bring us back to Jesus. Paul looks to Jesus in the middle of his crisis. He looks to him. And this actually isn't the only story where, where someone finds God in the middle of the storm. It's, it's interesting to see how often people find God in the middle of storms in the Bible. The clearest one I can think of is um, when, how, how many times have we heard the story where the disciples are in the boat and the storm's just going like Jesus is in like the back of the boat, like asleep. Which shows very clearly what Jesus is like worried about, like nothing. There's never been a moment where Jesus is like, I don't know what to do, I'm all out of options. And some of us read this, by the way, the disciples are like super scared of the storm. They think, they think they're gonna die, so they wake Jesus up, which by the way, I wanna point out real quick, that is an act of faith right there. Here's why. In the middle of the storm, they turn to Jesus, and I think so few of us in the middle of the storm, we, I don't think we turn to Jesus very often. But they turn around, and when they look at Jesus, and Jesus, he says that we kind of read it, we kind of read him saying like, oh, oh, you have little faith. Oh, you have little faith. We kind of hear him like, sort of like, Jesus like lecturing them, like he's like mad at them. And I don't know if that's exactly what's happening here. I actually think Jesus is also looking at their faith, and he's going, oh, there's a little faith there. Nice. In the storm, you look to me. Finally. I think what storms do is it gives us an, oppor- it, it gives us an opportun- opportunity to make us look at something bigger than ourselves. I really think that's true. And the hope is that the one thing that we would do in the storms is we would look at the one thing. In the middle of the storm, we would look to Jesus and say, Jesus, are you in this with me? And guys, I just want to tell you, he's always in the boat with you. Always. It might not feel like he's there. It might feel like he's napping. But he's there. Oh, you have little faith. I, I hope, honestly, I hope Jesus says that to me. I just want a little. And I want to close with this. I was introduced a, a few months ago by this author. Um, his, name is, his name is Ronald Rawheiser. Uh, Ronald Rawheiser, he's, he's a Catholic theologian who, interesting, really interesting, he writes a ton about the Holy Spirit, a ton. And he writes in one of his books that our Western culture, we're in this new age and our culture has said, uh, we, had, we had God for a while, but we don't need him anymore. And he, and he says the best way that he can describe our culture is that we are like the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we are the son who has received the father's inheritance and we have run away. Um, Mark Sayre is another author. He wrote this book called The Disappearing Church. And he, 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 writes, uh, that he, he writes about kind of what it means to live in this post-Christian world that we live in. And in this culture of post-Christianity, Sayers writes, post-Christianity attempts to move beyond Christianity while simultaneously feasting upon its fruit. And both Rawheiser and Sayers, uh, they, say, they write something to the effect that we know that we're running away from God. That's not the problem. The problem is our culture has no idea what it's running to. We just wanna be anywhere else. Our society is living a detached life in a dying world. A few weeks ago, um, back to the story of the pumpkin patch. Um, with these first graders and remembering the first field trip that I went on and when I was a kid. I, I remember when, when, I, when, when I was like coming to school for the first time, I loved holding onto my mom and dad's hands. I loved holding hands. 
But I remember there was a time where they dropped me off for class. Um, and I was looking around and seeing if any other, anyone else was holding their parents' hands. And they weren't. And so I kind of just, just let go. I didn't hold their hands anymore. But when, when I was at the pumpkin patch a few weeks ago, all these first graders, all they wanted to do was like hold hands with the adult chaperones. I had like four kids trying to hold my hand. It was like a lot. It was, it was overwhelming. They like love holding hands. And they didn't care. And I, and I want to say to you guys in these, in these last days where it seems like the world is dying, it doesn't look cool to hold the hand of the father. It certainly doesn't do anything for your social status but the hand of the Father is outstretched and you can hold it. And I want to ask you to please hold it. Um, I want to invite the band back up here as I kind of conclude this. Um, this last summer, we had um, a, a good, a good uh, friend, friend of ours come speak uh, for a weekend and, and he shared something that really gripped me when thinking about um, this idea of worship. Um, he asked us at this little retreat that we were at, he said, um, do you know why we, have you, ever, have you guys ever seen this? Have you guys ever seen people like lift their hands in worship when they worship? Like, they're like, why? <laughs> he's, like, why do they, he's like, why do they do that? Why do they lift their hands? And he said something that really, really gripped me. Um, <clears throat> he says, have you ever seen a child want to get picked up by their dad? What do they do? They lift their hands. Worship's kind of like uppies for Jesus. <laughs> and I think that for some of us in here who might be thinking, how could God love me in the situation that I'm in? Or maybe we're in the middle of our struggle and we don't know what to do. And we feel like we can't like go to God because we might feel like we don't deserve to be loved that way. But here's the thing, though. I think we missed the point a lot. All Jesus wants to do is just love you. That's all he wants to do. And I think some of us need to do something that maybe we haven't done in a while, or maybe we've never done it before. I think we so often think, if, if you're a Jesus follower in the room, we so often think we need to like do something for Jesus all the time. And I think, we, I think maybe for some of us, we just not, need to just let Jesus love us. Just, let, just sit, take this moment and just be like, Jesus, I'm just gonna let you love me right now. Jesus, just let me, just, just like love us. And so what I wanna do is I, I, I wanna pray and then um, we'll go into this time of worship. Does that sound good? Cool. Let, let's pray together.